If you've got a pen and a piece of paper or a notebook, if you don't, that's okay. You might have a phone. I'm going to ask you to get your phone and open up to a notes section, wherever you might, whatever app or whatever you use on your phone to maybe take a quick note. Or maybe your pen and paper style, you're more than welcome to do that too. And it's okay. I'm not about to ask you to take notes of the entire sermon, though you're more than welcome to if you want to. But what I actually want you to do right now on the top of that bit of paper or on the apps, whatever app you're using on your phone, I just want you to write the following question that's about to come up on the screen. And it says this, Lord, what would you like to say to me? That's all I want you to type or to write. Lord, what would you like to say to me? And once you've written that down or typed it onto your phone, you don't need to do anything else except for a moment over these next 30 minutes here in Copenhagen and over in Olbor, where we've got faith right now that the Lord is gonna say something to you. And when that moment comes, you can pick up your phone again or pick up that pen and paper again and to jot down whatever it is. It might be a verse of scripture that just resonates with you. It might be one sentence that it said. It might not be even anything that I say, but as a result of something I say, you just feel a thought come into your mind, which just not just goes into your mind, but it blesses your heart. And you think, wow, yeah, I know that's the Lord talking to me. And when that happens, when that moment happens, I encourage you to write it down. Are you with me? Fantastic. On Saturday afternoons, typically in the minor household, it is the time when we um, allow our kids, Annika, who's 10, and Frederick, who is six, to have a bit of screen time. They each have their favourite different shows that they love to watch on Netflix or on Disney+. And on Saturday afternoon, it's a bit of a screen time part of the day for them. And I want, remember one particular Saturday about a month or so ago when Frederick came up to me and said to me, Mum, can I please watch now? And I looked at the clock and it was a bit earlier in the day than what we normally do it. And I said to him, oh, Frederick, you can a little bit later. It's currently 2.30, but when it's 3.30, then you're more than welcome to watch some of your shows on Netflix. And Frederick kind of looked at me and he's like, when's 3.30? You know, he's still getting the concept of time here and trying to work this out. You know, 60 minutes is forever. And I said to Frederick, okay, and what I did was I took him into the kitchen I took him into the kitchen, and in our kitchen, like many of you, we have an oven, and on the oven, there's typically a clock, a digital clock. It's in 24-hour time, which kind of added complexity to this situation. And so, obviously, the oven clock had the numbers 1430, 14.30, 2.30 in the afternoon. And I said to Frederick, look, when the oven clock says 1530, 15.30, that is when you're allowed to get the iPad, pop on to Netflix and watch your favourite shows. And he was like, okay, all right. And I was quite surprised at how willing he was to go with his plan. So I walked out of the kitchen and got on with whatever it was I was doing at the time. Now, a few minutes later, I noticed that our apartment had become uncharacteristically quiet. And I got concerned at that point, And I started kind of walking around thinking, where is Frederick? And then I walked back into the kitchen to find the most cutest sight. You see, we have this stool in our kitchen. This is really our stool. We brought it in the boot. Andrew even cleaned it for this moment. God bless you. And I had found that Frederick, bless him, had dragged the stool and was sitting in front of the oven 
just staring at the clock. And I said to him, Frederick, you're staring at the clock. He goes, I'm waiting for it to go 1530. And I said to him, well, you know what, Frederick, that's actually going to take a little bit of time. So while you wait, why don't you go play with your Lego? No. Well, while you wait, why don't you go do some colouring in or read some books? While you wait, why don't you go find where Annika is and go torment her? And I didn't say that. While you wait, why don't you go and jump maybe on the trampoline? And you can imagine his response to each of those things. It was no. And so I just left him there and allowed him just to sit there for pretty much all the time as he waited for one, five, three, zero. And no matter what I suggested to him, other options for him to do while he waited, he would not want to do any of those things. Incidentally, the title of this message today on this first Sunday of Advent is called While You Wait while you wait, because no matter your age, whether you're a six-year-old kid or 16 or 26, 36, 46, 56, whatever it might be, no matter the age, waiting can be excruciating. Waiting can be frustrating. It can be exhausting. Waiting can be stressful and annoying. And waiting can also be incredibly lonely. Waiting can be discouraging. It can be disappointing. And I have found that sometimes these waiting seasons can be so all-consuming that we, like my six-year-old son, find ourselves dragging our kitchen stool and dragging it in front of the proverbial kitchen clock and staring as we wait for what is still yet to be. And we're so consumed that we don't think we have the energy or the strength to do something else while we wait. But can I encourage you, church, on this first Sunday of Advent to not allow waiting time to become wasted time because waiting time is not wasted time. And can I just say, I can't imagine a better season in the life of our church right now on this first Sunday of Advent to explore what the Bible would say to us about waiting as we enter in this church liturgical season of Advent. Because you see, Advent, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus. We get other English words from that, such as adventure. And Adventus in Latin, it means the coming of or the arrival of. And within Christian liturgy, Advent is the season of disciplined waiting. Because there is the premise there that as Christians who are maturing spiritually, we understand that waiting is a spiritual practice and discipline, just like reading the Bible, just like praying, just like worshiping, just like gathering, just like fasting. Waiting, did you know, is also a spiritual discipline. And so I want us to turn today to Psalm 126. And Psalm 126 is going to be the main passage for today's message. Historically, the psalmist writes this at a time when the Israelites are waiting desperately to be set free from captivity. Psalm 126 is a beautiful psalm, one of my favourites. It's about joy remembered and joy anticipated. It's a song about waiting patiently and expectantly. 
Because when we find ourselves in waiting seasons, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are actually able to wait with patience and with expectation. And on that note, I'd love to read to you today from Psalm 126, verses one to six. Are you with me, church? Here in Copenhagen, over in Olbo. The first three verses, the psalmist is remembering the past. And you'll see here, we've got here a remembrance of the past. It says this in verse one, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. And at this point, the psalm then shifts. It shifts from the past and it now comes into the present. And the psalmist now says in in verse four, so restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. And then it shifts into the future. Verses five and six, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy and those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It is a psalm of what was and what is and what is yet to come. And so on this first Sunday of Advent Church, I would love to explore three purposes of Advent and three things we can do while we wait. Not just now, but in any season of waiting in which we will inevitably find ourselves in. Who thinks that would be helpful today in Advent? Amazing. All right, and so here is purpose number one of Advent and with it, something practical we can do while we wait. Number one, Advent reflects on the faithfulness of God. And so while you wait, remember what God has already done. I'll say that again, Advent reflects on the faithfulness of God. And so while you wait, remember what God has already done. You see, our default in times of waiting is to focus on the lack, don't you think? When we are waiting, we are focusing on what hasn't happened yet, what we think the Lord has not yet done. We focus on what we do not have. But this Psalm shows us the importance of shifting our focus. You see, this Psalmist was in captivity waiting for freedom. And yet the opening of this declaration was a remembrance of what had happened. The psalmist said, oh, do you remember nation of Israel when the Lord did miracles for us? The other nations would look at us and say, wow, look at what the Lord has done. You are indeed blessed when the Lord did those things. You see, the psalmist knew that it was so important to remember the Lord's faithfulness in yet another season of waiting for something that was still yet to happen. We need church in this time of Advent to discipline ourselves, to shift our focus from that natural human default in times of waiting to go, oh, I do not have this. This has not yet happened yet. The Lord doesn't seem to be doing anything right now in this season, but yet 
Psalm 126 says, oh, would you remember what the Lord has already done? Would you shift your focus to the miracles of the past? Because past miracles give us present hope for future miracles. I love to journal. And most people think that people that journal is because they love writing. And whilst that's true in my, for me personally, the actual number one reason why I love to journal, it's to help me remember. I've got a fairly okay memory, but as the years go on and time goes on, I can easily forget less and less the things that have happened in the past. I journal to remember. And you know, just before the service today, I was speaking with an amazing new family who've just joined our church in the summer and um, was just sharing a bit how we've been here for nine years. And those nine years have been the ups and downs of just life. But the first two years, to be honest, of us living here in Denmark were actually extremely difficult. It was difficult in particularly in the areas of finance, in employment, and in accommodation, like where to live. And those first couple of years were really hard, and I'm not going to go into it in this sermon today because that's not the point of it. But what I did do, though, is especially during those two years, I journaled and remembered everything that the Lord would miraculously do to provide for us in those couple of years. And, you know, here we are now, nine years on, and we're in 2021, and Andrew and I in a totally different season to where we were in those first two years, but yet still with desires of our hearts and things that we are still waiting for and things that we are still hoping for. And over these past couple of weeks, I pulled out some of those journals and I sat down and I began to read them to remind myself because I found myself in a situation going, God, we don't have this yet. You haven't done this yet. Why are things taking so long? I'm just sitting here and I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And those journals reminded me, no, Selena, shift your focus. You know what else happened that day when I was reading through my journals? Our 10-year-old daughter walked in and said, Mommy, what are you doing? What are you reading? I'm like, oh, I'm reading you know, old journals from years ago and in typical Annika style. She was like, why? I'm like, well, it's because I was remembering what the Lord did. Do you know what, Annika? You were only one when we moved to Denmark. And during those couple of years, we saw God do some miracles. She's like, like what? Tell me, mummy. And I went through my journals and just shared with her things that were just, you know, that were appropriate to share with her from my journals as a 10 year old and just told her some of the things. And I watched her own faith build as I shared that. Guys, we need to remember, not just for ourselves, but to remember for others because there are other people that need your story, that need your remembrance of the past to help them build their faith. We must remember for ourselves and for others. So remember, Advent, it's all about remembering the faithfulness of God. And it is about, I've just lost my spot, sorry guys, to remember what God has already done. The second purpose of Advent and the second thing that we need to do while we wait is this. Advent celebrates the anticipated arrival of Jesus Christ. 
Advent celebrates the anticipated arrival of Jesus Christ. And so while you wait, express to God the desire of your heart. In verse four, there is only one verse about the psalmist's current circumstances. It is interesting that the majority of this psalm is about remembering the past and looking towards the future. But this one verse, even though it's one verse, it's actually such a powerful verse because it's expressing the psalmist's desire of the heart. And it's this, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, when you read these words, you might go, okay, well, what's all that about? Well, restore our fortunes. Can you say that? Restore our fortunes. It is an English translation of a Hebrew idiom, like a saying, a phrase. And it's actually really difficult to directly translate this into English or into Danish for that matter without losing the depth of meaning within this particular phrase. But to help us unpack it, the psalmist also includes a simile to kind of give a bit of a comparison. It says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, we need to then understand, well, what's the Negev, right? And so there's a photo that the team, our incredible creative team is gonna put up. It's of the Negev. Now, it's in the southern point of Israel, was known as Southern Judah at the point of this psalm. And now you can see, what this area looked like. It was desert land, right? It was barren, it was arid, it was dry, it was hot. There's, there's nothing living here, nothing growing here. There's no community set up here because of how it is in terms of environment. However, at various points during the year, this area was notorious for suddenly experiencing unexpected downpours of rain, where suddenly rain clouds would just appear, the heavens would open and just rain would come very quickly, but with such intensity that suddenly streams, like because it's flooding, would form in this particular area. And what was even more remarkable was once the downpour had stopped and once the water had cleared, within the next 24 to 48 hours, the area would be covered, second photo, with just flowers. Acres and acres and acres of flowers would cover that same land that only a few days earlier had been barren and dry. So restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. When you look now at the Hebrew meaning of restore our fortunes, do you know what it means? It means a sudden radical change, like streams in the Negev. It means unexpected transformation and restoration, like streams in the Negev. It means a turnaround due to the supernatural power and divine favour of the Lord, like streams in the Negev. And so this Psalmist is saying, O Lord, would you please turn things around? Would you please bring radical change? Would you please supernaturally with your power and with your divine favour bring such a turnaround like streams in the Negev? Because your present dry places are future flourishing 
places. That is what Psalm 126 shows us because you see, the desires of my heart are probably different to some of your desires because we're all different. The desires of my heart probably very different to the desires of Jesper's heart, and Jesper's heart is very, very, his desires might be very different to perhaps Anna's heart, the desires of her heart. We've all got different desires, but I think that the root of all of our desires actually are the same, the desire for a radical change, the desire for a turnaround, the desire for how things are right now and this longing for what is yet to be. We're all needing transformation and restoration. When you look at the longings of your heart, you can probably agree that they're all connected to this whole desire of God. Change, turn things around, your divine favour, your power, restoration, like streams in the Negev. This Advent, the Lord has restored our fortunes through Jesus Christ, which is why on this first Sunday of Advent, we can place our trust in the Lord, who has already restored our fortunes through Jesus, and therefore in any other waiting season that we come across, we can trust that just like streams in the Negev, our dry places will become places of flourishing in Jesus' name. The third purpose of Advent, coming towards the end now. The third purpose of Advent and what we can do while we wait is this. Advent looks forward to the second coming of Christ. And so while you wait, trust that God is always working on your behalf. And we see this now in verses five and six. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What I find so remarkable about this psalm and the person who wrote it is that the psalmist, despite their current circumstances, remember, they're in captivity, longing to be set free. The psalmist still is 100% confident of harvest. The psalmist knows that harvest is on its way. This psalm shows us that present seed time and toil leads to future harvest. What we need to remember in seasons of waiting we need to remember the farmers. And I know that Hillsong Old Boy is gonna love me saying that up there in Nord Yulan. We need to remember the farmers because no season is permanent, even if it looks that way, even when it feels that way. My goodness, there are just some seasons that feel so permanent. We can be in it and our brain can go, oh yeah, we know logically that things can change and that things won't remain the same forever. We can have the most well-meaning and truthful people say, you know, yes, seasons will come to an end. Oh, but when you're in it, it feels so permanent. You think, no, how can this ever, ever change? Ah, but the farmer knows. That is, he's there, and these days we've got the machinery, but back in the day, it was by hand. The big bags of the seeds, and they're walking for hours, throwing out the seed, 
It was back-breaking work. And yet, what kept that farmer going? He wasn't looking at the seed. He wasn't looking at the toil. He was looking to harvest. And he knew right now this is hard work. Right now there is sweat on my brow. Right now there is a toil and my muscles ache. Oh, but I know that if I just wait and as I keep planting seed and as I keep on working and doing what I need to do in this season of waiting, I know that there is great reward because it's only a matter of time that seasons change and suddenly here is the harvest. And what joy for that farmer to go back to the place that they'd sown seeds and saw what had sprung forth. You see, this imagery isn't just for the psalmist, this imagery is for us, that there's gonna be seasons of waiting. We need to keep on planting seeds. We can't waste the time. We need to be faithful with what's in our hand and just to do the next right thing and to keep on planting seeds and to keep on toiling the ground, trusting that seasons will change. You see, God is even able to bring about good out of your tragedy and out of your pain and out of your grief and out of your sickness and out of your hardship and whatever conflict is going on in your life right now, even in that, God is still working on your behalf and in the midst of your current burdens and in the midst of your current hardships, know that joy is on its way. We need to be patient as we wait and not waste the time, but we need to remember and look towards the second coming of Christ. And as we here on earth are longing for the return of our Messiah, we also recognise that as we patiently wait that God is always at work. He is always on time. He has always got things in line, even when you don't see it, even when you don't think it. Our Lord is always at work. God's great harvest of joy is on its way. I really believe, church, here in Copenhagen, over in Oldbore, that there is going to come a season very soon where as a church and as individuals that we are going to see breakthroughs like we've never seen before. In fact, I want to declare in faith in this Advent season that while we wait, we're going to usher in a season of breakthrough, that we're going to see things change in people's lives where it seems like you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for such a long time, but that we're going to see God on the move in each and every one of our circumstances. And as we conclude and as the team comes back to join me, I want to encourage you once again, church, on this first Sunday of Advent, we need to remember that waiting time is not wasted time. And you might be here today and you can see yourself in my little Freddie, who happened to visit the service actually partway through my preaching. You might identify yourself in him. Maybe right now you're thinking of different circumstances in your own life where you're like, oh, I've pulled out the proverbial stool and I'm just sitting in front of the proverbial clock and I'm staring and I'm waiting for 1530 to appear. There's other things you can do while you wait. 
because, as I've said, Advent reflects on the faithfulness of God. And so while you wait, remember what God has already done. Advent celebrates the anticipated arrival of Jesus Christ. So while you wait, express to God the desire of your heart. And thirdly, Advent looks forward to the second coming of Christ. And so while you wait, trust that God is always working on your behalf because waiting time is not wasted time. And as we conclude, I'd love to read to you an excerpt written by a Christian author called Shauna Nequist, and it's gonna come up on the screen as our team begins to beautifully play. It says this, Advent is about waiting, anticipating, yearning. Advent is the question, the pleading, And Christmas is the answer to the question, the response to the how. There are moments in this season when I don't feel a lot like Christmas, but I do feel like Advent. Advent says the baby is coming, but he isn't here yet. That hope, it's on its way, but the yearning is still very real. Thank God for a season that understands longing and loneliness and long nights. So let yourself fall open to Advent, Hillsong Copenhagen, Hillsong Olbo. Let yourself fall open to Advent, to anticipation, to the belief that what is empty, oh, it will be filled, that what is broken, will be repaired and what is lost can always be found no matter how many times it's been lost. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? You see, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, Psalm 126, oh, it ultimately points people to Jesus Christ. He is the one who turns seasons of waiting into seasons of fulfillment. His birth, his death, his resurrection, they all enable us to walk with great joy even while we wait. Do you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Here as a church in this Advent season, as we look towards the anticipated joy of His birth and remember the birth of our Saviour, Do you in your own personal life have a relationship with Jesus that enables you to keep on going in times of waiting? Do you know Him as your own personal Saviour? Here in Copenhagen, over there in Olbo, do you know Him? Is He your Lord? Is He your Messiah? Or is this time of Advent about lighting candles and and open up your Yule calendar and the different gifts that we get? Or deep down, is there something within you that you know, oh, the ultimate gift has already been given. The ultimate gift has already come. And that is Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him that way, in all of our services, we always give people an opportunity to invite Jesus into their heart. 
And in a few moments, I'm gonna count to three. And when I say three, if you want me to include you in a prayer that asks Jesus just to come into your life, where you make Him your Lord and your Saviour, where you say, oh Lord, I need you in these times of waiting. There is a longing in my soul that I've tried to fill with so many things, but no matter what I do, it fills it for a while, but then it comes empty again, that we have a Lord and Saviour that will fill it. He fills those voids that cannot be filled by anything or anyone else. And so if that's you this morning, here in Copenhagen, over in Oldbourne, when I say three, would you raise your hand long enough and high enough just so I know who I'm praying with and afterwards our whole church all together are gonna say a prayer. Are you ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand long enough and high enough so that I know who I'm praying for. Over here in Copenhagen and over in Oldbourne. Anyone just raise your hand and say to me, yes, Selena, would you please include me in this prayer? You might have prayed this once before. Thank you, God bless you, I see your hand. You might have prayed this once before. You might have never have prayed this, but you know today on this first Sunday of Advent, that you wanna say, yeah, yes, Selena, include me in this prayer. Amazing, incredible. Over in Oldboy, you can raise your hand if you're over there. Wonderful. Well, church, we are all gonna pray together and especially people that have lifted their hand in this service and over in Oldbore. But even if you didn't lift your hand, it's not a hand in the air that saves you, it's the confession of your mouth. And so church, I'd love to invite you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank You for dying on the cross for me. Three days later, You rose from the dead and the power of sin and the power of death is broken over my life. I make You my Lord and I make You my Saviour. In Jesus' Name, Amen.